We come to our Bible reading. It's in Acts chapter 8. And we read this. The church persecuted and scattered. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Then the apostles in Jerusalem, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they may receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you what it reveals about you. And we pray now for Nick as he comes, Lord, to expound that word to us. Give him your guidance and your blessing. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. So you might like to have that passage open in front of you. And also, we're going to refer to some verses on the screen, and the references won't come up. And the references are in the sermon notes. So particularly today, if you want to pick up um, the sermon notes are on the windowsills, or, or there are some down here, um, grab one while you can. Let me ask you a question. Um, when you became a Christian, did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you became a Christian... Did you receive the Holy Spirit? It should be a non-question. It is virtually a definition of a Christian, of somebody who is united to Christ by receiving the Holy Spirit. Second question, how would you know if you didn't? And we'll look at that in more detail in a moment. But cut a long story short, when you receive the Holy Spirit, 
life changes. Life changes. Or are you sitting in church and you suspect that other people in church have something that you haven't got? Maybe they have. And maybe that thing is the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Do you feel like some kind of second-class Christian? Then is it possible that you like the people in this passage? You're baptized, but you never received the Holy Spirit of Christ. Very little could be more critical to you, to your Christian life, to the life of the church, and to your eternal future. So let's have a little think about the story. Uh, next slide, okay. We've, we've passed over, you'll notice, we've passed over Acts 6 and Acts 7. Well, I guess a chunk of Acts 5 as well. We're literally going through Acts, and every time it says somebody was prayed for, we're going to look at it and see what happened. So we've passed over the martyrdom of Stephen. He was one of the seven deacons uh, appointed in Acts 6. And we come to another of those deacons, a man named Philip. And when Stephen is martyred, and if you remember, there's a guy called Saul standing by, um, approving of him being stoned to death for being a Christian, then a great persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem, and the apostles stay put, but everyone else scatters. And it just struck me along the way, because we were thinking about refugees and persecuted Christians in the evening service a couple of weeks ago, and... Sometimes I think we, we think through the question, well, why don't they just stay put? Is it not more faithful to stay put? Well, here we see a biblical example. Um, only the apostles stayed put, and perhaps they were safer because they were Christians from a Jewish background, but the rest of the church scattered. So we can't just ask Christian, uh, persecuted Christians to, to stay put necessarily. But what did the scattered Christians do? They preached the word wherever they went. And that, I think, sets up in us a kind of fear. Are we supposed to kind of preach the word wherever I go? So if I'm in the station, kind of like, do I stand up and, you know, on a box and, uh, and preach? Or if I'm, you know, in Tesco's, uh, what does it mean? And actually, the word is evangelized. The word is clearly, in, in the Greek, evangelized wherever they went. It's closer to a sense of, maybe proclaim, but even maybe that is kind of too strong. Um, somebody evangelized when they kind of went off to tell somebody good news. So typically, before it was used in a, in a gospel sense, somebody running from a, a battle that was won, bringing the news uh, as, as a herald, was somebody who evangelized. They simply brought the good news. Like somebody, well, when I wrote this, I had like somebody running out of the Etihad Stadium on Wednesday night. But actually, I'm already out of date. It's like, it's like you know, like the guys in Manchester. Um, I'm sure the Manchester City team kind of watching around their TV and somebody, or somebody runs in in a house in Manchester and says, Arsenal have lost, which, which to a Manchester City supporter is good news. I guess you realise that. But they did not all become preachers. That's what I'm saying. They were scattered and they evangelized. They brought the good news with them, and they passed it on, and they told them. So they didn't all become preachers, but Philip does become known as an evangelist, and we read that later in Acts 21. So Philip, next slide, ends up in a, in a city 
in Samaria. We're not told which city. He evangelizes and he has a powerful ministry of exorcism and healing. And there is great joy in the city. That would be a wonderful impact, wouldn't it? To be able to go and preach somewhere and have a, a, a city-wide impact. I guess we think of Tim Keller. And on one hand, this is unusual because there was a thousand years of hostility between Jews and Samaritans, which is why the parable of the Good Samaritan is such a shocking story. They just hated each other and they didn't get on and they saw them as heretics. But on the other hand, it's exactly what Jesus had commissioned his disciples to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it was kind of surprising, kind of not surprising. But on the third hand, if you can have a third hand, I think it's kind of important to realise here that although their religious views were a bit mixed up, they were not complete non-believers. Samaritans believed in the first five books of the Bible. They had a kind of cut-down, mixed-up Judaism. But they were expecting a Messiah, albeit their own version of a, of a Messiah. So something has to make this different, this new, what is different between this new Christianity and Judaism and this new Christianity and this mixed up Judaism that the Samaritans have got. And what is different, certainly in Luke's mind, is that Christians receive the Holy Spirit in a way that Jews hadn't. And that's the marker, I think you would say, in Acts. Um, for what a Christian is, or what is a sign that somebody has become a Christian. So when the word gets back anyway, word gets back to Jerusalem, and it's not surprising, I guess, that Peter and John head out to investigate their, their Jesus-appointed leaders of the church. Um, sad side note, this is the last we hear of John um, in, in the rest of Acts. And when they arrive, they find that the new believers, they have been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they have not received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we read, had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so here is our one significant point for today. Conversion is not complete until the Holy Spirit has been received. You are not a Christian unless you have received the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is really clear about that. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The Bible cannot be any clearer about this. So how has this turned out? That Philip has evangelized, he's brought them the good news, they've even been baptized but they've not received the Holy Spirit. Well, we're not told how it's come about. It could be that Philip has not completed his full teaching task. Maybe he's told them that the Messiah has come. He's shown uh, that something has changed with all these miracles. Uh, the people have believed him that this Messiah has come. They've been baptized, but maybe it's just been a, bap a, bap a baptism of repentance. They've mentally assented. They've said, yeah, we, we believe that this Jesus guy is the Messiah. 
and they've been baptized into the name of Jesus. And I think there's a hint there that there's a possibly there's something not quite right because they should have been baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says at the end of Matthew, but note the book of Matthew has not yet been written at this point. Or it may be that the Lord has sovereignly decided to withhold his Holy Spirit until Peter and John get there. So that the Jerusalem churches and these new Samaritan churches are formally linked and it's clear that they're bound together as the one church in Christ. But two things are sure. This is not grounds for a second blessing theology, that you become a Christian and then later you receive the Holy Spirit. To become a Christian is to receive um, the Holy Spirit of God. It's not that you need a second blessing from the Holy Spirit after you become a Christian. You need all the blessings you can get. And as many and as often you can get it, it is simply this, you are not a Christian until you have received the Holy Spirit. So the second question then is, how do you know? How do you know if you have received the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is undetectable. So take this on board, and this is, this is important, and you need to get this clear. Strictly speaking, you cannot feel God at work. God is spirit. You cannot feel the spirit of God at work. He, he could come through here this morning and do any number of works. And I can't feel him come past. He is, he is, he is spirit. And that's important. So he doesn't need an atmosphere um, in which to work. And that's important, again, for us, because otherwise, how could the Holy Spirit of God work in his home if he needed it to feel like Hillsong or wherever that might be? He does not need an atmosphere in, in which to work. He can work anywhere. Maybe we need an atmosphere, so we've all got our minds um, in the right place, but he doesn't. That's important, because the second thing to say is that the things that he does can be and must be felt. I should have thought up a good illustration for this, but I haven't. It's really important that, that you, you, can't, you can't feel him, you can't feel him working, but you can feel the results of him working. And it's important, I think, that we ask this question then today, what does it feel like when the Holy Spirit works what does he work and what does it look like well, let's have a look at a few verses and all i did here was i looked up spirit with a capital s um, in my computer program uh, and i got all the references for spirit um, in the new testament you can go and do the same thing on bible gateway online and you can check this for yourself so i think these are representative of what the holy spirit does the first one is Romans 8. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You see, when you trusted Christ, you became a son. You didn't, uh, you didn't feel that. But by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
Okay? What does the Spirit do? He testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What does that look like? You tell me. Well, you can if you like. But have a think. What does that... What does that mean? Drill down. What does it mean? Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. In other words, the Holy Spirit brings an inner conviction or a confidence that we're God's children. And if you have that inner conviction and confidence that you're a child of God, then prayer makes sense because you have the sense that you are speaking to somebody. Life feels more secure because you know the creator is also your father. Holy Spirit takes away that fear of dying, takes away that fear of condemnation. Life is less anxious. That's what it feels like when the Holy Spirit is at work. That's one of the characteristic works of the Spirit. Next one, we 1 Corinthians 2. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. What is God doing? Or rather, what is the Spirit doing in that verse? It's causing us to understand. What does that look like? What does that look like? What does that feel like in practice? Well, what it means is, it looks like comprehension. It looks like, ah, the light has come on. So you come to the scriptures and what was previously dry or obscure is now intelligible and it is life-giving and it fills us all. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Or um, Acts 8, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So there will be times, I think, when the Holy Spirit actually gives you a conviction. Again, but listen, is this words in the mind? It might be. Or is it just a conviction that you've been asked to do something? You see, in Acts, I think we've gone past the point where the apostles are working and they had a particular blessing that no one can repeat. This is Philip, one of the deacons. I think we would call this a time of revival. And more miraculous things happen in the time of revival, but times of revival can happen at any time when the church is seeking the Lord. So the Spirit will guide at times through direct impressions in the mind. Or 2 Timothy 1. The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What does that feel like? What does that look like? The Holy Spirit is giving you the ability to take control parts of your life that you previously couldn't get a grip on. That's one of the characteristic works of the Holy Spirit. It's giving you self-control or self-discipline. It's giving us power for that. Spirit gives us love. So the Spirit gives you a sense that you're being loved by God and the Spirit gives you a sense of love for other people. Life changes. What does that feel like? It, you just find yourself loving more freely. In other words, he makes us less self-centered and less self-protective. And we could carry on, and we will. Romans 8. 
If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit of God you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. It's really clear. That's Paul carrying on from that verse we read earlier. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Holy Spirit again will speak into you, into your life, at at your conscience level, at your conviction level. And he will say to you on occasions, don't do that. And at other times he will say, look at that person, or do that. And if that never happens in your life, then you've got to question whether the Holy Spirit's at work. He's either not there, or you've misunderstood what he's trying to do, and you're not being led by the Spirit of God. He's always gently but firmly pushing us towards the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, Forbearance, that's long-suffering with other people. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or Ephesians, Paul says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ that he may give you the spirit, with a capital S, of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. Holy Spirit is constantly wanting to reveal things to you. Primarily through his book, obviously. And then finally... Paul said to the Thessalonians, which we studied a while back, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do there? He brings conviction. conviction and he brings joy in the midst of suffering it's a Christian distinctive so you can do this study for yourself you can find these verses and others what is the Holy Spirit doing this is what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit okay to be filled with the Holy Spirit a series of convictions have changed You have power to live those convictions out. And you have a constant reminding and help and direction to your conscience. Is that you? Are you full of the Holy Spirit of Christ? Or do you just have an allegiance to Jesus' church, but no real transformation? This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let us not be confused in our days. But I want to really briefly look at some signs of unbelief. We're showing a, a particular kind of unbelief, and I think I'm convinced at the end of the day that this poor guy called Simon the Magician didn't really believe. He had his own powerful ministry, The locals call him the great power of God. He must be having a fantastic time in this city. Everybody from high to low thinks this man, he's the great power of God. He's doing it probably by the occult, possibly by trickery, but we don't deny that there are real supernatural forces. 
And Simon sees Philip and the Spirit of God at work with him and he realizes that what Philip does is either more real and or more powerful than what he is doing. And he believes and he is baptized. But I would suggest that like the rest of them, he has not received the Holy Spirit. And what's the evidence of unbelief? He's interested in power more than the work, more than the person of Jesus, I think we would say. He's, he's impressed by the power. We're told that, that Philip does. So in other words, he hangs around because he sees something at work, but does he ever make a personal connection to it? Suggest not. And then clearly he has this desire to, to dispense power. He wants to buy this ability to dispense the Holy Spirit. I want Jesus for my self-esteem and for my public standing. Really like to have a powerful ministry, Lord. Again, it's a sign that he's misunderstood, isn't it? He has a transactional view of spiritual realities, I would put it. And Peter's pretty clear doesn't think he's a Christian. You haven't got any part in this ministry. Your heart's not right before God. Repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord in the hope that he might forgive you. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon sounds repentant. He sounds fearful. He says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you've said may, may happen to me. So he wants power, but there's no sign of repentance. He wants a ministry without relationship to Christ. And you say, well, that's not me. But any time that you feel God has shortchanged you, I would suggest you've fallen into a transactional view of, of Christianity. Hey, I put this much in. I came to church, gave my tithes. I prayed. And you didn't give me back X, Y, or Z. In other words, we all fall into vending machine theology. Suggest sooner or later. Put my coin in and my Mars bar hasn't come out. And you know what happens when that happens. Put your money in the machine and the thing doesn't come out. You get incredibly angry. Okay, and you shake the machine. Um, God is not a vending machine. It is a personal relationship. And any time we treat God like a vending machine, then um, we've, we've... we're a little bit like Simon. And if you come to church and you're asking for prayer or you're hoping for a blessing, but you're not getting to grips with repentance before God and a personal relationship with Christ, then you're following on the end of the Simon queue. And that prayer doesn't actually get answered because it doesn't actually get answered, this prayer Pray to the Lord for me that none of you have said will happen to me. It doesn't get answered without personal repentance and belief. So I want to put this into practice, but we can't do that before having a quick look at Philip and the very quick look, Philip and the Ethiopian. What do you think about this story, Philip and the Ethiopian? The Spirit tells him where to go and who to stand next to. The person in question is reading the ideal Bible passage. It's like you walking past somebody in the station and they're reading John 3.16 out loud. Um, 
Philip asks him how he's getting on. That's the only initiative Philip takes. It's like you saying, oh, I've heard you reading that out loud. What do you think? Long story short, he's high up civil servant. He asks Philip into his car to explain. He believes the good news. They see some water. He gets out and he's baptized. We could all do it if it was that easy. Well, that's the point. Pray for it to be that easy. No? That's what we pray all the time. Pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus, eyes to see them, courage to take them, wisdom to know what to say. You can add to that, please, Lord, put in front of me somebody who's reading the Bible, uh, a passage I understand. Please, will they not ask me any hard questions? Um, Why not? If God gives Philip... And if an opportunity like this, what kind of opportunities will he give you and me? Why not? So in practice, have you received the Holy Spirit? You either say, yes, because I can see how my life has been changed. You might say, no. Or you'll say, I don't know. And I don't know is either actually no, or it might be you become a Christian, but you've never led, been led by the Spirit of God. You've never actually learned to walk being led by the Spirit of God. So three things I suggest to you practically this morning. Repent and receive. Peter replied, repent, Uh, this is at Pentecost, and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask for it this morning. And go to God and say, I'm sorry that I didn't realise that I've never actually asked you for or acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe you drifted into into church, here or somewhere else, by upbringing, but conviction has never happened. And you notice that conviction in all those verses, which is, in other words, a change of a certainty, a sense of certainty within the heart, um, is the characteristic work of the Holy Spirit. You drifted into church, but conviction never changed. If you've never been convicted of being wrong before the Lord, then you will have never actually entered into a a Christian relationship with the Lord. So maybe you drifted in, and if you have, it's lovely to have you, and you're very welcome here, and we love having you around, but if you've not, ever had conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not a Christian. I would suggest you need to do something about that. Talk to somebody today. Second thing then is to keep in step with the Spirit. That's what Paul says in Galatians 5. In other words, once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is wanting to direct your life. Primarily, he wants to do that through his book, the book that he caused to be written. 
And if, you do, if, there are, if there are no mechanisms in your life for you to come and hear God speak to you by his Holy Spirit, then there's no way you can be led by, by Christ. That's why we're talking to the kids about fighter verses. It goes for adults too. I'll give you a chocolate bar as well if you like. Yeah. Not above small bribery. For you to be led by the Spirit of God. And then pray. Pray for the most perfect, most easy witnessing opportunities you could imagine. And see what the Lord does. See what the Lord does with them. So why don't you, you know, come on. The Holy Spirit is at work. He is working in our church. We are praying um, to double in size. Not because there's any magic, but because we need to pray somewhere. And in some direction, otherwise we go nowhere. And we'll pray that again tonight. And we'll be praying for the Holy Spirit to work tonight. And we'll be praying for our family members who don't have the Spirit of God um, tonight. So come along and pray. But why not pray? Say to the Lord, I don't have words. So if I'm going to talk about you, I need to give you words. I'm confused as to who to go to. You need to point out the right person. Um, I'm terrified they're going to ask me hard questions. Can Can they please not ask me hard questions? Whatever you need. Just pray it. Uh, why not? The Lord, if the Lord gave somebody like Philip, who turned out to be a great evangelist, an, ev- you know, an opportunity like this where everything fell into place, he can do the same for you. He can do the same for me. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to have our time of open prayer. And if I can ask, we just hold off our intercessions for other people for a little bit so we can just have a bit of time just to um, be quiet and just ask the Holy Spirit to to come and lay his quiet conviction upon us and to lead us in corporately and individually in, in, in whatever direction. Father God, we invite you to come amongst us and work in us by your Holy Spirit.